Welcome to In His Grip with Dr. Chuck Petters, Senior Pastor at Glasgow Church in Bear, Delaware. In His Grip is a daily broadcast presented by Mark Inc. Ministries. Today's sermon is taken from a series of messages by Dr. Betters entitled The Grapes of Wrath, which describes the ministry of Isaiah in Israel and Judah over the course of 60 years. In today's sermon, The Grapes of Wrath, Part 1, Section B, Dr. Betters describes additional parallels between Israel, the lukewarm first century church, and the church today, as they all demonstrate practical atheism and a devotion to self-pleasure. Let's join Dr. Betters now as he shares biblical, historical, and current information to enhance our understanding. You know, when you read chapter 1, go back to chapter 1 of Isaiah. When you read chapter 1, as you're going through the book, you see sin blighted Israel's national life. Yet there was still hope. Even though there was sin in the midst of the people, there was hope. Look at verses 26 and 27. Here's the hope. I will restore your judges as in days of old. Your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion will be redeemed with justice, her penitent ones with righteousness. There's hope amidst judgment. There's hope. A hope for for revival. A hope for renewal. When you come to chapters 2, 3, and 4, sin marred uh, life's highest purposes for Israel. Yet, offered to them was cleansing and a new creation. Look at chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Even though their nation had been blighted, even though sin had marred their highest purposes, he says in verse 2 of chapter 4, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. Of course, that's referencing Messiah. And the fruit of the land will be the pride and the glory of the survivors in Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. All who are recorded among living in Jerusalem, the Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. There's the cleansing. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day, And a glow of flaming fire by night. Over all the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day. And a refuge and hiding place from the storm and rain. So you see in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. There's hope. Even though these people had become so sinful. Yet when you come to chapter 5. The hope is dashed. In fact what we have in chapter 5. Are Isaiah's grapes of wrath. The hope is taken away. And nothing is left but the gathering of darkness. Look at how chapter 5 ends. Look at verse 30 of chapter 5. This is a picture of the absolute despair in light of the judgment of God. In that day, they will roar over it like the roaring of the sea. And if one looks at the land, he will see what? Darkness and distress. Even the light will be darkened by the clouds. You see, he sings first of a friend who has made the best of preparations for this very special vineyard. He chooses the best soil, the choicest vines, carefully plants the crop, and he expected fruit. The crop was to produce fruit. So confident was he of the imminence of the fruit that he also builds a double wall to protect it from all its enemies. In fact, he builds a tower, a residence tower, where he himself would dwell in their presence. 
so as to ensure the safety of the vineyard, the choicest vines, the best soil, the double wall, the watchtower, the presence of the, of the gardener himself. And he expected fruit. He expected fruit. What more could he have done? Nothing. The question is, why was there no fruit? What is to be expected now that the crop is wrapped up in so much darkness? Look at verse 5. Isaiah 5. Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. Now you don't think this applies to the church? We are called in Galatians the Israel of God. If this happened to Israel, it can happen to us. And it will happen to us. And the reason it will happen to us is because God is looking for fruit. Will he find it? This is what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge. And it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall. And it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. Neither pruned nor cultivated. And briars and thorns will grow there. And I will even command the clouds. And forbid them to rain on it. Look at verse 7. The vineyard and its stink crop is fully exposed. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. In case you didn't know that. And the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. What a picture of God's total work of grace. What a wonderful picture of God's total work of grace. The Father who before the foundation of the world chooses the soil, chooses the vines, sets them aside, sends His Son in the course of time to secure our salvation and inundates us with the presence and power of His Holy Spirit who builds a double wall of protection and Himself dwells in our presence as our watchtower. What more could He do? He is looking for fruit. And when the fruit is not there, he has no recourse but to judge. He has no recourse but to hand over his church for judgment, which may very well be the mechanism by which God brings revival. The grapes of wrath. Beginning with verse 8. Here are the characteristics of the church of Isaiah's day, which I believe absolutely parallel the church of our day. There is no doubt in my mind there are significant parallels in these six grapes of wrath to what we see and experience in the church today. The first one I call practical atheism. Practical atheism. Verses 8 through 10. Here it is. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. The Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, surely the great houses will become desolate, the fine mansions left without occupants. A ten-acre vineyard will produce only a bath of wine and a homer of seed, only an ephah of grain. 
when life consists of the following of sin and denial of the living God and the reversal of his moral code, there is no stopping place short of complete devotion to self-pleasure. And that's what the church is today, devoted to self-pleasure. Isaiah's contemporary Amos would say it this way, three sins of Israel, even four, I will not turn back my wrath. They sell the righteous for silver. They sell the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl so as to profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God they drink wine taken as fines. Now here was the picture. Powerfully rich and influential people would annex the property of the poor. A man who had power and money and prestige in the church would look around at his neighbor who was poor and oppressed and would annex his property. Literally defraud him of his property. Kick him out of the house so that he could build a bigger house. So that he could have an estate. All that mattered to them was self-advantage. The new squire would, would live in the middle of his estate alone in his land. While the struggling poor struggled more. Kick them out! They have nothing to offer. Kick them out! i got to tell you something. It is not the wealth that Isaiah is condemning. It's how it was used. It is not the power that Isaiah was condemning. It was how that power was used. It is not advantage or privilege that Isaiah was condemning, but how that advantage and privilege was used. Note the end, by the way, of the land-hungry. These land-hungry landlords. These power-hungry, money-grabbing uh, landlords. Note, note the end, verse 9 and verse 10. The land-hungry become hungry. The land that they annex doesn't bear any fruit. So they have these wonderful, great, big estates, but there's no fruit. They have all this property and all this power and all this position, but no fruit. You know, we have a glorious picture of that, a glorious illustration of that in the book of Revelation. Would you turn to Revelation, please? Look with me at chapter 3. A portrait of a church bathing in a lukewarmness that was rooted in what was most important to them. What do you think was most important to these landlords? Themselves. Themselves. That's what was most important. Themselves. Revelation 3.14 To the angel or the pastor of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen. The faithful, true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Is this God talking? Is he speaking to his church? You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, do not need a thing, but do you not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich. White clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. I want to tell you, I think that church reflected 
the mindset of the typical non-Christian searching for a church today. You know what a non-Christian is searching for in a church today? What is in it for me? What is in it for me? What can it offer me? But I got to tell you, I think they also reflect the mindset of many Christian people, some of whom may be sitting right here. What is in it for me? What can this church offer me? What can my faith give me? What can my God give me? What's in it for me? Me, me. Jesus would tell us in the parable of the talents that there's a price tag on this kind of thinking. You want to know what's in it for you? He says, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even he, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the price tag on me-centeredness. What's in it for me? Some experts say that the greatest curse on the church today is that 20% of the body do 80% of the work. Statistics show us that 10% of every church, every 10% of every church congregation, 10% of those people have the gift of evangelism. But what they fail to tell us is this, that even though 10% may have the specific gift of evangelism, every single believer, every one of you who named the name of Christ are commanded, are demanded in Scripture to be a witness. Every one of you, every one of us. Where's the fruit? The failure has been that the church does not see the difference between being a witness and being an evangelist. And this has produced a guilt-ridden lukewarmness that has sickened God. And it must be addressed if we are ever going to see a revival. Let's look at some of those drops of lukewarmness. Me, me, me. Lukewarmness in the pursuit of holiness. That's one drop in that little fountain. Are you pursuing holiness? Second drop. Lukewarmness in the pursuit of the Great Commission. I think God is sick and tired of these bad marriages. I can tell you for one as a counselor, I'm sick and tired of the bad marriages. I'm tired of having to go back to the same people again and again and again and tell them, this is what Ephesians 5 says. This is how a man is to love his wife. This is how a woman is to submit to her husband. I think it's time you get the message. And your children, where we've allowed them to go and what we've allowed them to do and the drifting, I think it's time for God's people to, to realize fully that God will bring judgment to our homes if we do not submit to the mandates of holiness God has called our homes to live in. If you don't like this kind of preaching, then leave. Go listen to the devil tickle your ears out there. Listen to him tell you women what you're supposed to be and you men what you're supposed to be. But don't listen to the narrowness of this book. Let him devour you just as Ahaz sacrificed his own children to his gods. Some of you are sacrificing your children to your gods and they're dying. Fourth drop. Lukewarmness in the service of the body. We don't know how to work in the church. What do you expect when you come here? See, what we need to expect is to encounter God. 
And let me tell you something. When you encounter God, when you come face to face with a living God, eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose with a living God, self must disappear. Self must disappear. There's no room in this spirit for self and the Holy Spirit. There's no room. And when we engage him in worship, when we come prepared, did you prepare your heart? Did you prepare your wife, your husband? Did you fight all the way to church? How do you know God hasn't led into this church, the last of the elect, to hear the gospel? They ought to be able to see and sense and feel that from us, that we have been before a holy God and have come to worship him. Not self, him. Not me, him. Do we love him? And a final thought. Is there lukewarmness in the church in the pursuit of peace? Do you know how to resolve conflict? There is so much division in the body. So much division. I'm grateful that in this church there isn't that much. Not any that I know of. I'm sure there are people that are discontent with this, that, or the other thing. But primarily speaking, God has given us great peace here. But I'm talking about the body of Christ. There's so much division. The preachers are in competition with each other. I go to preachers' meetings, ministerial meetings, presbytery meetings. They're all in competition. Well, not all of them. Many of them are in competition. Big church versus small church. Rich church versus poor church. Young men versus old men. New wave of thinking versus old way of thinking. Traditional service versus contemporary service. White versus black. And on and on it goes. There's so much division. The preaching's irrelevant. Doesn't speak to anybody's hearts. The saints are in disagreement. The buildings are not in use. The quality of ministry is second rate. And as the result, the community around us is unimpressed. Where's the Pentecostal fire when there were no buildings? Where's the Pentecostal unction of the Holy Spirit? Did a Presbyterian really say that? Yes, he did. Our focus is so narrow and so fixed on me, me, me. It makes God want to spit us out like sour milk. Why is there so much fracture? Because we have aimed our guns at each other, majoring in minors, doing it all in the name of Jesus. No longer does Satan hang us on crosses made by the enemies who stand outside the church. Instead, we hang each other on crosses crafted in meetings and gossip sessions where some of the greatest pain is felt by the saints at the hands of other saints that more than rivals the pain that the world can toss at us. I've had people tell me again and again and again, I've suffered more pain at the hands of the church than I have in my conflicts with people who are outside the church. Do you have a vision for the church? Do you have a vision for where the church ought to be? I want to tell you, persecution's inevitable. We talk about the, the collapse of communism. Do you know what that's done? We think it's opened this wonderful floodgate of opportunity into Russia. What it has done is it has destabilized the Soviet states. So much so that they're looking for somebody to shoot. Listen to this. The former, the need for trained pastors in the former Soviet Union has prompted Regent University to establish the Institute of Leadership Training six-month course in Kiev. Now listen to what's going on. 
personal testimonies, personal photographs, helps document the persecution that is going on against Christians in the Soviet Union. Brutal persecution of Protestants is increasingly steadily, increasing steadily in the former Soviet Union. A systematic cleansing of Protestants, similar to that experienced by all faiths under Stalin, could occur soon in the Commonwealth of Independent States. As order breaks down in Russia and the surrounding republics, strong men attached to the Muslim and Russian Orthodox establishments are filling the power void. The Russian army formed an alliance with a million-member military organization with historical roots in the Cossack people. The groups pledged loyalty to Russian Orthodoxy and war against evangelical Protestants. The danger to foreign missionaries is great in Cossack areas. Protestantism is seen as the American plan to interfere with the sinister motive of stealing Russia from the Russians. One and a half years ago, uh, this commentator says, I myself didn't believe this was going on. But as his organization, the Russian-American Institute for Adaptation, uncovers increasing evidence of persecution, this horrible picture is forming. We have a very short time. Persecution. You've read about Rwanda? Rwanda's tribal wars has killed thousands of church members, clergy, nuns, employees of religious relief groups have been shot, hacked, and bludgeoned to death. Decades-old tensions erupted when Hutus acted to avenge the killing of the Hutu president of Rwanda and Burundi, whose plane was shot down. They went through the streets of Rwanda, killing, maiming, hacking, sawing, People of religious conviction, people who were there serving as missionaries, were hacked to death. Well, on and on we could go. I think it's time for lukewarmness to turn hot or cold. It's time for you to get in or get out. It's time for you to say, my cause is with my Jesus, or I am a child of Satan. And you need to make that choice but you're not going to be able to sit in the middle. Notice what he said in Revelation. What did he say? I would rather you be one or the other. You are less offensive to God as an enemy of the church than you are as a lukewarm, quote-unquote, Christian. Will there be revival? Well, in Isaiah's day, they went into captivity. The grape of wrath of practical atheism was one of the foundational elements that led to their destruction. When you hear these stories of judgment, do you ever consider that in reality, judgment was actually God's chariot for bringing grace and mercy to the Israelites? Maybe you are experiencing some hard discipline right now as the consequences of personal sin. But think about it. Maybe that discipline is God's way of opening your eyes to His mercy. Whenever repentance is required, Mercy is close behind. Please let us know how God is using this broadcast to open your heart to His truth. We often meet people who tell us they listen every morning or every afternoon, or they arrange their travel time so they don't miss one message. Whether you are a longtime listener or new to In His Grip, we'd love to hear how God is using His Word to turn your heart toward Him. On our website, you'll find our Learning to See When the Lights Go Out series where people share their stories of brokenness and redemption. 
One of the most powerful stories you will hear is the one on adultery, forgiveness, and redemption. Did you know that even when reconciliation doesn't take place, the offended party can forgive and find joy and peace and purpose? Ron, please share with our listeners how they can access these resources or contact us. Thank you for joining us for today's message from the Grapes of Wrath series. If you would like to receive a copy of this entire sermon, you can contact Mark Inc. Ministries and request the Grapes of Wrath Part 1 or simply reference sermon number 94-33. Mark Inc. Ministries can be reached toll-free at 877-MARK-INC. That's 877-627-5462. Check out our website at www.markinc.org. Did you know you can share today's message with a friend or family member? Or download today's message in its entirety free on our website. Simply visit us at www.markinc.org. You can also call us if you like at toll-free 877-627-5462. That's 877-MARK-INC. Mark Inc. Ministries provides help and hope to hurting people. Be sure to join us online for more information about our many resources. Mark Inc. Ministries is a nonprofit ministry that appreciates your ongoing prayers and support. For more information or if you would like to email us, go to www.markinc.org. We would also like to invite you to join us for our Sunday morning service at Glasgow Church. The church is located at 2880 Summit Bridge Road in Bear, Delaware, and our service begins at 10.30 a.m. each Sunday morning. If you are unable to attend the service in person, you can join our live stream from anywhere by going to our website at www.glasgowchurch.com. If you would like to contact us at the church, we can be reached at area code 302-834-4772 or through our website at glasgowchurch.com. Thank you again for listening to today's broadcast. Be sure to join us tomorrow as Dr. Betters continues this challenging series, The Grapes of Wrath. Have a blessed day and remember that God is sovereign and you can trust Him as long as you are in His grip.